um, holy water makes my skin burn. <laughs> it gives me third degree um, burn, so. <laughs> I worship Satan, so. Hey. No, we don't. We don't. No, I don't. no, we don't. I don't worship Satan. <laughs> 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 uh, but Satanism is very interesting. I'll probably look into it. You like, know, he was God's favorite angel until, yeah. you know. He fell or whatever yeah, happened. I don't whatever know. he did. Lucifer. Good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. This is the Insomnia Report. Welcome to episode 10. Holy cow. Double digit. Two hands. Big one zero. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. And we are the two roommates and friends in Chicago that like to talk about the things that keep us up at night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, plus our third roommate, Randy the Radiator, who you can probably hear yep. in the background. Yes, I we try to edit him out, but he is talkative, especially because it's very cold now. Yes. So welcome to December. I will go ahead and light the candle. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, I was about to say a spooky story, but nope, nope, that's, <laughs> that was last week. Um... Would you like to tell me what keeps you up this week or last week or whenever? What has kept you up recently? Um, I don't know. Maybe we, maybe I shouldn't stay on this theme, but we've been watching a lot of TV. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, we watched that Hulu Christmas rom-com yes. with Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza. And Dan Levy. I enjoyed it more than I thought I did, but it was also yeah. frustrating. Yeah, not super happy with the ending, but hmm. yeah. Anyway. O otherwise, yeah. just, you know, Bachelorette Saga continues. Um, <laughs> I was trying to explain to my mom earlier why I think Bennett's a serial killer. Oh, he 100% is. <laughs> no, he 100% is. Yeah. Especially like when he did that face where he was like smiling and it went straight to a frown and he was yeah. like, I will cut off your skin. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I was pretending to have emotions, but now I... <laughs> like Dexter. Oh. He's cute though. What about you? So I wrote something down because I always forget. And this was a couple weeks ago when we finished recording uh, the paranormal story. And we watched the Ghost Adventures episode on Excalibur. And oh, yeah. remember we were just sitting there and I randomly like I got a bruise on my arm. Oh, yeah. It was so weird. I was just sitting on the couch. We were watching Ghost Adventures on my laptop. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my arm kind of hurts. And there's this giant like bump and bruise. And I hadn't done anything because I was still very much like in my boot. Yeah. Randy. Come on, Randy. My goodness. He has a lot to say. He wants to. <laughs> um, so that was just really weird. Uh, and I've been having a lot of weird dreams. And I just am feeling kind of restless because I yeah. haven't been able to, like, move around a lot. 
and all I wanted to do is work out. But it's funny because even when I like didn't have a boot, I, I like didn't work out. But like, you know what I mean. <laughs> also, side note for our listeners, we've been getting some EVPs. Yes, on our podcast recordings. Like when we edit, we'll send these to the other person and be like, "Do you hear some?" Like it's like weird voices that aren't ours. Right. And, um, like, we try to debunk it because we don't share a wall with anyone. Our apartment's, like, on a corner and it faces yeah. the street, but we always record late at night, so it's not like there's – I mean, I guess it could be, like, someone walking by, but we don't live on, like, a busy street. Mm-hmm. So it's really weird. So I guess we can compile those and post them somewhere, but it's yeah. definitely creepy, especially because we obviously don't hear it yeah, unless we're recording, but we alternate at it in. Super spooky. Anyway. Anyway, today we are talking about things we wish we learned in school. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for you to educate me. Alrighty. So you've probably heard of this, but in case you haven't, it's a really big case in neuroscience and psychology. I did hear about this when I took AP Psych and then I took a couple of psych courses in college, so it has like come up before. So if you have heard this before, you get to hear about it again. Uh, if you haven't, then prepare to have your mind blown. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we are in Cavendish, Vermont in 1848. Okay, this is not what I was expecting. What, what did you think? No, I, when you said like psychology and neuroscience, I had a theory, but oh, it's wrong. Maybe. But that's good. Later. You're I surprising don't know. me. Oh. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here we find 25-year-old Phineas. Oh, yes, yep. I've heard this. <laughs> and he works for the railroad. I've been working on the railroad. I wrote it like that, but I was like, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> so you did it for me. Thank you. You're welcome. So his job, part of his job working for the railroad was to blow up rocks to clear the way for the tracks to be placed. So he would drill a hole and place explosive charge in the bottom of the hole and then he'd pack it down with sand and then he would use an iron called a tampon rod Mm -hmm. to pack the explosive powder into the drilled hole and it exploded accidentally oh no yeah um the explosion caused the iron rod to penetrate through his left cheek through his brain uh behind his eye socket and through the left side of his skull oh my god that's so gruesome yeah so uh the metal rod was one meter long and it was a one and a quarter inch diameter and it weighed 13 pounds oh my god the rod was found 80 feet away so okay sorry (laughs) so it it like passed through his skull and then out yes it went through his cheek and like you see my it yeah went like that so it didn't get like stuck in there it, it didn't get stuck it, it like exploded <gasps> through his brain oh god oh my god yeah oh my god um so you would think this would be fatal right right <laughs> <But> it wasn't <laughs> this is the story of phineas gage mm-hmm. gage landed several feet away but like he didn't even lose consciousness he just twitched a few times and then within a couple of minutes he got up and moved and he could speak and he was like totally Oh my god. Okay. 
despite having like a rod just go through his brain. Did he know what had happened to him? Yeah, he was like completely aware of like what was going on. He could remember things like that happened previously and and everything, and he could talk. Oh my god! Um, so he. Like, they walked him to an ox cart where he was taken to go, you know, see a doctor. And he was just in the cart, and he just continued to write in his workbook. Like, you know, nothing happened. Like, maybe he had a headache. I don't know. (laughs) So he gets to town, and the doctor came in. And I find out that this was all done in a hotel room. Which is absolutely disgusting. I guess they didn't have a hospital or it was back when, like, doctors did, like, house calls or whatever. Um, Not very sanitary. No. So I will, you know, uh, just a warning, if you have a weak stomach, you may want to fast forward a little bit. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, you have to hear this. Um, I I try to make it as tame as possible. But the first doctor was Dr. Williams, and he said that he could see the, the skull, like, pulsating and uh he he like no he saw the brain pulsating and like he could see it even before he got like out of his carriage he was like i it just saw it right away like i can't unsee it oh my god um and he said it was like a volcano erupted of bone like so the bone was like ah out um (laughs) so but, I mean, Gage, since he was, like, still conscious and he was still witty, he greeted the doctor by saying, Doctor, here's enough business for you. And then he, like, showed him his whole <laughs> time. Um, so when Gage was talking about what happened, the doctor didn't actually believe that it went through his head because he's like, you would be dead. Like, you would not be here right now. Um, he thought maybe it was just, like, the explosion and something happened and, like, scuffed his head. So he was like, there's no way this went through your head. Like, that's just not possible. And then one article said that Gage insisted and uh, in that it went through his head. And then he got up and vomited. And when he did, a chunk of his brain fell on the floor. <laughs> no! <laughs> Losing my mind. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's where, like, the gruesome part, like, ends. I'm not going to go into, like, a whole lot more of that. So um, soon after, there was a doctor by the name of John Harlow, and he took over. Um, and a lot of his reports are what tell us about most of the information about Phineas Gage and about his recovery period in the aftermath of the injury. So it's because of his reports that we know about mainly what happened. So Harlow uh, was also the reason he was able to stay alive because he did an exceptional job of managing the large infection that came around. Oh, my God. Um, and he was able to stop the excessive bleeding. So this was in the you know late 1800s. It's not like they yeah. had a lot of resources so he basically i don't know how like a lot of the articles just kind of didn't go into detail maybe i don't know but he was able to stop like infection from getting really bad and he was able to stop the bleeding which i guess is like the main thing that kept him alive um but i mean it's amazing so for a couple weeks uh after he was kind of he was semi-conscious and the area continued to bleed so um you know, he wasn't getting better, so they were assuming that he was going to die. They prepared a coffin for him, but 
Nevertheless, Gage started to gain regular consciousness, and he could recall events in the past and things that were currently going on. So he was completely aware of everything. Wow. Um, so on the surface, the only thing damaged was he had obvious scarring and he was blind in his left eye. Mm-hmm. The was, brain is, like, amazing, though. The body is amazing. Let's see Mr. Gage. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Historical hottie. Is that, is he holding the... He's holding the rod. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is gigantic. That is gigantic. It weighed 13 pounds. And like the circumference, oh my god, it went through his yeah. head. Yep. Oh, I know. I know. That's, Remember that's when incredible. I said mind blowing? Ha. <laughs> 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 Try the veal. Try the veal. Anyway. <laughs> so, months after the accident, Gage completely recovered and he was eventually able to return to work. Like, again. Amazing. I would not want to return to work. I would not either. To be honest. (laughs) He had no motor or speech impairments, and his memory was completely fine. Um, However, his friends and colleagues noticed something else was off with Phineas's behavior, and they quoted saying, it's no longer Gage. It was like he was a completely different person. So I'm going to uh, give you kind of a crash course in neuroscience. Um, So what caused this change is the rod took out a large part of the frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. So the frontal lobe is part of the brain's cerebral cortex, and it's located directly behind the forehead. This is the largest lobe in the brain, and it controls cognitive skills such as Emotional expression, problem solving, memory, language, judgment, and sexual behaviors, just to name a few. So essentially, it is the control panel for our personality and our ability to communicate. So prior to the accident, his friends, colleagues, family, uh, they all described him as, quote, hardworking, smart, and a shrewd businessman. He had no formal schooling, but he was well-balanced, and he was looked upon by those who knew him as energetic, and he was very persistent in executing his plan. So he had a good head on his shoulders. He was very ambitious, um, really hard worker, pretty good guy. Now they were saying, however, that he was very fistful. He was uh, childish. He was terrible with his money, and he was extremely disrespectful and unreliable. So it was like a complete 180 from who he was before. Because of this, the railroad company that he worked for, where he was once a model employee, uh, they refused to take him back. They're like, you you can't work here anymore uh, just because he was so all over the place and completely like unprofessional and and, like he would just make very uncomfortable comments and um, I guess just like he wouldn't show up or like he... I don't know, completely, like, problematic. That's so interesting. Exactly. I think so, too. So after that, he worked a few different jobs. Uh, He worked at a stable in New Hampshire. He, super random, but he drove coaches in Chile. Like the country? Yeah. Chile? Yeah. Wow. How do you get (laughs) to... That must have been a long journey from the East (laughs) Coast to Chile. The Chile Uber driver. It was uh, (laughs) a... Um, like Uber and Chili. I don't know. Wow. The coach Chili driver. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you get a gig like that. I guess it was in very low demand. So he's like, I'll try this. Okay. 
and I guess he did that for about seven years. He eventually then went to go live with relatives in San Francisco because his health did start to deteriorate. In 1860, he did die at the age of 36 because of his injuries, and this was almost 12 years after his accident. Wow. So um, it was assumed to be like he died of seizures um, or complications from his injury. Wow, that took a long time. Right. Yeah. So um, his skull, the tampon iron, and a model of his face that was created is in the Warren Anatomical Museum at the Harvard Medical School campus. So you can actually see his skull at the campus. Okay. Um, So naturally, he is the most famous patient for neuroscience because he was the first case to suggest brain trauma can be a cause of personality shifts, Um, especially in the 1800s when the brain was still kind of a mystery. They had no idea how it worked. Um, So that being said, it was sort of like the pioneer of emerging theories about brain function and based on where like parts are located and how everything functions or um, how areas are associated with specific functions. So the aftermath of this is, I remember my psychology professor made a good point where she said, we obviously can't find multiple cases to study because this is like an anomaly. Mm. Um, And a big thing of, like, the scientific method is you have to, like, test it multiple times to make sure it is true. But obviously, we're not going to, you know, shove a iron through someone's head to test it. I would hope not. I would hope not. Um, So, you know, they can't find anyone else alive to be able to test this, obviously, for obvious reasons. But a couple of studies that have come from it, uh, aside from, you know, continuing to develop. But in recent years, in 1994, I say recent uh, <laughs> it was what six years ago 26 years ago uh, I know I still think of things based from like 2000 I know I know things were so simple then anyway um so in 1984 researchers used neuroimaging techniques to create Gage's skull and to determine where exactly the incident happened so it found that he suffered injuries from the left and right prefrontal cortices which is uh, where emotions are processed, and this helps you make rational decisions. In 2004, they used a 3D computer reconstruction to analyze the extent, uh, and they found that it was mainly the left frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. The most recent one that I was able to find is in 2012, they estimated that the uh, rod destroyed 11% of the white matter engages frontal lobe and 4% of the cerebral cortex. So the cerebral cortex is key in attention, perception, awareness, memory, language, and consciousness. And my sources are from the Smithsonian, NPR, among others. So that is the case of Phineas Gage. That kind of freaks me out because now I'm like, who am I? Am I going to get impaled? Well, it's, it's like, <laughs> it, it, like, is what makes me, like, what makes me me is just a bunch of, like, electric oh, firings God. in my brain. Yeah. Like, it's, and that's it. And that, that really freaks me out. No, that, that literally keeps me up. It's like, why am I the way I am? Or, like, why do I have, like, my personality? Or why am I, like, why don't I have a filter? Why can't I remember things? Why can't I yeah. retain, like, 
It's wild. Yeah. It's so wild. The brain, the human body is so amazing. Like it just does so yeah. much to try to keep you alive and that's that's amazing. And everything's like connected to the spine and, and just the brain. And the brain. What are we real? Like is our personality no. and consciousness even real if it can be like altered so drastically? When you think about the brain, it's your brain thinking about itself. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> and that also really freaks me out. I don't know why. Is water wet? Or does it know. make things wet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This oh, God. Is, this is yeah, no, this lot. is the shit that keeps me up at night for sure. <laughs> like, this is my report. Anyway, so that is my anyway. tale. Which is super freaky, like amazing. He survived. Um, it's great that he got like so many years after his accident. Yeah, even though he died pretty young. I just want to know, like, his perspective. Yeah. You know, like, I, like, did he feel different? Did he like? I don't know. Yeah, like, did he know that he he's like changed? Could he like re- like? Did he look in the mirror and be like, "Hey, man." stop it or was he just like completely unaware that he wasn't yeah. any different or he's like why is every like was he aware like could he read because he was very like inappropriate post accident so yeah i don't know man oh my god it's wild that's gonna keep me up at night yeah so yeah that's um a phineas i don't know how like i get headaches and i need like tylenol right away so i don't know what he did did he even, like, know he was in pain? Well, okay, so it must have hurt when it went through, like, his head and his skull, but I, I'm pretty sure the brain doesn't have pain, like, nerves for pain. So that's why, um, oh, my God. Like, you know, when they do brain surgery where people have to stay awake sometimes? What? Yeah. Like, there's certain kinds of brain surgery where the person has to stay awake so they can make sure they're not, like, messing up their functions, basically. So the person's awake, and so they have to, like, numb like their head and stuff no. obviously no but when they no just kill sorry. me no okay no. but when they're poking around in the brain they don't have to like numb the brain because they can't feel it i wonder if it tickles i don't know anyway i don't want to know i don't want to i don't want to i hope i never have to know yeah same oh my god who the fuck figures that out how the yeah right how do they know that i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't really want to know yeah i know that would be so traumatic absolutely not you'd have to pump me full of like xanax or something i i was traumatized by my foot surgery and being awake i can't oh yeah Mm -mm. no Mm -mm. no no yeah no i i think i saw a video once of um someone getting it was a a woman getting brain surgery or maybe it was a man i don't know it was a a human being someone getting brain surgery and they were a musician so they were having them play the violin like as they were getting their surgery to make sure that like their motor skills weren't affected it was super interesting i'm just amazed and thankful for modern medicine that's Mm -hmm. all that's all my brain can take for now on that topic um i don't know what you have in store but can you can you enlighten me? Can you mm. classes in session? All right, all right. So <laughs> I want to apologize in advance because I always pick the most downer topics. Like just, just super it's okay. sad. It's okay. Um all right. 
Yeah. Trigger warning for this one. No, oh, no. Okay. For like death and cannibalism. Oh, um, okay. All right. And stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> Uh, leading on from that, when when you think of genocide, what do you think of? I think of um, Rwanda. Okay, yeah. And, it was a genocide. Um, it's horrible. Like, like the Holocaust. The Holocaust. I think of um, the Armenian or what? Is, yeah. Yeah. But just a lot of awful things. So mm-hmm. I, I, this is already a great. <laughs> yeah, right. Off to a great start. Um, <laughs> okay. One time a guy on Bumble asked me what my favorite genocide is. Swipe left. Goodbye. We actually went on a date. <laughs> you can edit this out. He was, he was, I think. <laughs> no, okay. Is that, how he, is that how he started the conversation? Actually, that- I think, okay, so I think in his profile it said, like, what's your favorite genocide? And then I think I, I messaged him and was like, what's your favorite genocide? Because I wanted to know, like, why was he asking this question? Anyway, um, he was nice, but, you know, wasn't feeling it. So we've thought about genocide, and now we're going to talk about a specific one that I only really heard of generally. I think there was like a sentence about it in my AP Euro textbook or something. Okay. Have you heard of the Holodomor? If not. Okay. Can you guess, just just guess like what part of the world? East Europe. Yeah, yeah. 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 Eastern Europe, aka Ukraine. Okay. Okay. Have you, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard of it? I I kind of scratched the surface uh-huh. in like a class, but not to the extent to where. Gotcha. Anyway. Okay. So the word the word comes from the Ukrainian words for hunger and starvation, oh. holod, and death and plague more. Oh. But Ukraine and the region itself is known as the breadbasket of Europe. So how can there be a hunger plague or a famine in Ukraine? Well, let's find out. So in the late 20s, 1920s, 1928, 1929, Ukraine was the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. Okay. So it was part of the USSR. And the leader, of course, at the time was Joseph Stalin. So in 1928 and 1929, Ukraine is under Soviet rule and the rule of Joseph Stalin. Now, Stalin, of course, in his quest to further his political agenda, is targeting these people called um, kulaks. And kulaks were wealthy farmers in the USSR. So what Stalin wanted to do was something called collectivization, which is where you take farms from individual peasants and you merge them all into like a big collective farm. Okay. Yeah. So um, so that was collectivization and that's one of his policies. And the kulaks didn't like that. And Stalin didn't like the kulaks because they had too much money and weren't, didn't really support him. Oh, okay. Um, and so he really wanted to get rid of the kulaks. And they were declared enemies of the state. You want to change? Uh, eliminate that escalated. Them. Yeah. I know. It's just like, <laughs> he's like, no, I don't like them. Like, I'm going to get rid of them. 
So eliminating the kulaks was part of collectivization. It was a warning to the people who were opposed to it. And it helped them collect land to confiscate uh, from the kulaks to bring into these big collective farms. Mm. And it also got rid of the leaders of the different villages in Ukraine because kind of the cultural backbone of Ukraine was the village community. And he he didn't like that. So he deported them to... um, So the goal for collectivization was to make farms that were more efficient and produce more food for people. That was like the overall goal. Sure. And so the Kulaks, though, Stalin deported them to like random regions of the Soviet Union or he just killed them. And um, peasants in general kind of resisted collectivization. They didn't want their land taken away. No, which is a natural response. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, if they resisted, they were deported, beaten, or shot. Oh. And through 1932, about 300,000 peasants were deported to work camps. And uh, it was just, it was like, it was bad for them. Well, you know? that doesn't sound like it was a good thing to no, happen. So. No, no, it it did not. Anyway, so... Um, there were a few peasant rebellions in some parts of Ukraine, and it just, you know, was escalating the tension. All right. So that's kind of the background of what was happening. But collectivization didn't actually work. Um, there were lower crop yields after this happened, especially in 1931 and 1932. There, were, there was bad weather, pests, and also, like, all the farmers were deported. So, like, who didn't think that one through? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and I thought you were gonna water the plants. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd they go? Ew, there's a bug. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Farmers are gone, no grain. <laughs> and so, with collectivization, what was happening is so all these peasants on these collective farms were growing grain or whatever they were growing, and then the state would collect part of it for themselves. So as part of collectivization, the government would take a quota of whatever was grown okay. in these big farms, basically, because the state controlled everything. And the crop yields were especially bad in Ukraine during these years. Um, and also there was lots of collectivization there. It was kind of targeted in that area. And so when there's less crops, there's less food. Wow. Which leads to famine and starvation. Oh. Yeah. So a lot of peasants, I, I feel weird using the word peasants, but like. <laughs> yeah, peasant. <laughs> that's what they were described as. They were farmers. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's fine. You're not doing it people. in a like, you're not doing it in a malicious way or like yeah. whatever. All right. So crop yields were especially bad in Ukraine because there was lots of collectivization there. It was almost targeted in Ukraine. And when there's less crops, there's less food, which means people are starving. Makes sense. It adds up to me. Famine. And some of the farmers slash peasants, whatever you want to call them, fled to other 
parts of the USSR or they fled to Poland and they were trying to tell people about what was going on. And there was, so this famine was pretty widespread throughout the USSR, but it um, especially affected Ukraine and then also parts of Russia and Kazakhstan, so like the southern regions. And it took place in 1932 and 1933 and was peaking in like the winter and spring of 1933. So this is after a couple of years of collectivization. Mm. All right. So there's a famine and... What does the government do? Nothing. Well, actually, oh. no. They, they made it a lot worse. Oh, nothing <laughs> um, good. So they created a bread ration in the cities. So if you, if you live in the city, yeah, you get like an allotted amount of bread. People in the countryside, though, really didn't get any food. Mm. In fact, people in the forced labor camps that got deported got more food than people like in Ukraine, like in the cities and... In the countryside. So what Stalin was also really afraid of, people in Ukraine seeking independence Mm. because they had their own culture and language and um, at certain times in history had made their own like governments um, kind of trying to break away from the Soviet Union. And so the government really wanted to crack down on the peasants in Ukraine and in order to keep them from trying to leave and revolting. And Stalin didn't want people to see himself and his policies in a bad light. So he wanted to protect his reputation and he wanted to keep Ukraine in the USSR. Okay. That was his goal. So, all right. So he's like, we need to do something about this. How do you stop these people from revolting well honestly you just you kill them oh and so stalin forbade people from traveling around the ussr um especially in ukraine closed borders so that people couldn't leave to find food elsewhere and there was even an internal passport system so you couldn't really travel between like villages and stuff in ukraine okay so people really couldn't search for food anywhere so the government tried to stop people from leaving and searching for food elsewhere. They also denied that there was a famine, like officially. We all know that always ends well. Yeah. If there was a if there was any starvation, they blamed it on hunger strikes organized by Polish spies and Ukrainian nationalists. Okay. So farms, villages, and towns were placed on blacklists. Actually, over one-third of the villages in Ukraine were put on blacklists for, quote, failing to meet grain quotas. So they didn't grow enough grain for the government to take, basically, meet their quota. So they were put on these blacklists. And blacklisted villages were prevented from receiving food because troops would come and, like, surround the village and prevent people from coming and going or receiving any supplies. So basically starving them out. Mm. The grain quotas were increased. And so they were taking more and more from them. The it, I think I mentioned this, but the famine reached its peak in 1932 to 33 in the winter and spring, where groups of police and like communist sympathizers for the government, they would come and they would ransack the houses of the peasants and take everything edible 
Oh. So they would take crops and pets and personal food supplies. They would take pets? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. If you're hungry enough, you might eat your pet. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I'd rather it eat me. Like <laughs> I know. It's super oh, sad. Oh, no. Yeah. Baby. Little puppy. I know. But the thing is, there was no reason for a famine to happen. <sighs> Just like this. <laughs> so... The, Gosh, that makes me so mad. Yeah, the Ukrainian grain harvest of 1932 did have below average crop yields because of the things I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. including collectivization, but it would have still been enough for the population of Ukraine, hmm. but the government increased the quotas of how much they had to give away, and then, again, they would search and steal um, through people's homes. And also, in August 1932, a law was passed that made the theft of, quote, socialist property a crime. So that means that a peasant, even children, could be executed for stealing, like, wheat or something, or, like, food. And 2,000 people were executed for this. My God. Yeah, over 54,000 were tried and sentenced. Jesus. So it was really bad. Yeah. (laughs) It was really bad. Yeah. And during this time, so even though the Ukrainian population couldn't feed itself and it was getting so bad, the government just decided they weren't going to help people. And also during this time, the USSR exported over a million tons of grain to the West. So they were exporting their grain to other countries and stuff. And while people were starving, the government confiscated over 4 million tons of grain from Ukraine in 1932, which would have fed at least 12 million people for a whole year. And so they had, like, enough food for everyone. Like, if they had wanted to help, um, they could have. And they also didn't accept help from outside of the country. And even though people offered help from other countries, they denied it. So it was created basically by the government. Like there didn't like people didn't have to starve. They did it on purpose. That is horrible. Yeah. And there there are photos from that time of people just like dead in the street, like corpses laying in the street. Between 1931 and 1934, at least 5 million people died of hunger across the USSR. And of those people, at least 3.9 million were Ukrainians. Like, I can't even, like, that's almost 4 million people. That's terrible. Yeah. And at the height of the famine in June of 1933, Ukrainians were dying at a rate of 28,000 people a day. 28,000? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. hmm No. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't we learn about this? It's like an astronomical number. Uh, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around. That's horrible. Yeah. Jeez. So as a result of this, some people turned to cannibalism. Mm-hmm. You know, there was looting, lawlessness, whatever that means, lynching, lots of mass graves. I saw a photo from the time... 
it was like just on a tree there was a sign that said um you may not bury people here so it was like such a problem that like they were just wow digging these mass graves everywhere and it was yeah this mostly affected the countryside because farmers and peasants whatever peasants means um made up 80 percent of the population in ukraine at the time Mm -hmm. And in the cities, it was still pretty bad, but more people survived because they got ration cards. And yeah, people would just be like, there'd be like bodies everywhere in the street. People ate anything that was edible, grass, pets, like cats and dogs. I'm so sorry. Um, Acorns and each other, apparently. There was, I read a BBC story about where they interviewed this woman named Nina Karpenko, and she was a child. She's an old woman now, um, if she's still around. This was from, like, 2013. But she was a child when this was happening, and she talked about how her father died in the beginning. Um, He starved, but then her mother sold all of her gold jewelry to get some flour, and they would mix it with weeds and make these, like, pancakes. Mm. And eventually they had to eat their horse. Oh. And then they had the dried horse skin, like, in a closet somewhere. And eventually their mom had to, like, cut it up and boil it and eat that. Oh. So. That's so sad. It was really sad. Aside from being a famine, this was also a war on Ukrainian culture. Because if you have your own distinct culture, I guess it's easier to maybe you want to separate yourself from Mm, the government. So they carried out this campaign of cultural repression and against Ukrainian culture and especially religious leaders. So earlier in, uh, beginning a few years earlier in 1923, the Soviet authorities in Ukraine started this campaign of Ukrainization, where they supported people speaking Ukrainian and practicing their culture and stuff like that. Because they thought that if they promoted this, then the Ukrainians would like the Soviet Union more. But then after that, at this point, they're like, no, no, wait, actually, that's a bad idea. So they started to target people who were part of this campaign, like religious leaders and people like that they were sent to the gulag which is a system of prisons and labor camps or they were just killed and so one of the goals was to destroy the ukrainian village life kind of thing Mm -hmm. okay so it all ended in 1933 when crop yields finally increased but like i said almost four million people in ukraine were dead at that point And some estimates go up to 7 million people, so we don't really know for sure. But it was about 13.3% of Ukraine's population. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. And in some regions, the percentages were higher. For example, in Kiev, it was 19% of the population. And the the capital at the time, Kharkiv, it was 29% of the population. Settlers from Russia were brought in to repopulate the countryside because... Everyone was dead. And there was this promotion of a new Soviet identity. And they were trying to push Ukrainians to speak Russian now instead. So there, it was like also a cultural thing. 
And then afterwards, well, so during the famine, like I said, the Soviet Union was suppressing news of it. So no one talked about it in public. And journalists based in Moscow were instructed not to write about it. And in 1937, there was a census taken of the USSR. And the census showed that a significant portion of the population was gone. And Stalin was like, nah, people can't know that. So he murdered the census administrators. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. What the French toast? (laughs) Yeah, it was was super bad. I mean, but I mean, they had proof, right? That something major had happened. Oh, my God. And he was like, no, people can't know about that. So we're going to shoot you. The first public mention of this famine the holodomor in the soviet union was in 1986 what 50 years later yeah this guy named ivan drak he was a ukrainian poet he was the first person to speak about it publicly after chernobyl happened and he was saying how it was an example of how damaging official silence can be silence is violence Exactly. And it it also resulted in a huge loss of collective memory because it was suppressed for so long. Jeez. Yeah. Ukraine won its independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. But even today, authorities in Russia, they'll like acknowledge that there were famines, but they won't acknowledge that it was deliberate um, in Ukraine. Wow. So there are monuments and stuff now. Uh, Different institutions are researching this. And the official Lodemar Remembrance Day is the fourth Saturday of November. So we just missed it. We did. A week ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I saw something on Instagram about it and I was like, what's that? And that's how I, yeah. Went down this rabbit hole. But the big question is, was it a genocide? Yeah. By 2019... 16 countries plus the Vatican have recognized it as a genocide, and both the House and the Senate in our Congress um, have passed resolutions that said it was a genocide because it was man-made and, and engineered yeah. by Stalin. Like, if he hadn't done that, then 4 million people probably would have still be alive. Most historians have concluded that it was deliberate as well and um, part of Soviet policy to subjugate Ukrainians and new research is coming out after the fall of the Soviet Union where documents are coming out and stuff that Soviet authorities took these measures in Ukraine knowing that it would result in the deaths of millions of people by starvation yeah Um, so yeah Yeah, I mean, and the United Nations Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Genocide defines genocide as acts having intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. So I would say, yeah, it's probably genocide. I would... 100% genocide. Yep. And yeah, it was horrible. It just made me think about all the horrible things that people will do to stay in power. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's horrible. Like, knowingly being like, yes, 
like millions of people will die because of this. Let's do it. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Go for it. Yeah. Jeez. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrendous. I, I can't believe it only was discovered in the 80s, you know, or I mean, yeah. discovered like it's, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, but even then, like, how is it not talked about? You know, I don't. Yeah. What the hell? I know. It's just so like so many people. Like, it's almost as many people who died in the whole of the USSR who were killed in the Holocaust. How long was, like, the span of it? Um, I want to say, uh, so it took place from 1932 to 1933, so about a year, maybe a little over a year. Jeez. And it stopped in 33 because they had higher crop yields. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Ugh. But I'm not sure, like, how people were farming i mean if you're starving and also i'm not sure when these anti-ukrainian policies ended because even if you have higher crop yields i assume that they could still take most of it and like raid your village and whatever so i'm not sure i guess i don't know must have stopped at the same time (sighs) all right well now that we're all chipper um yeah sorry (laughs) well no i think it's important that we what the purveyors of truth yes <laughs> purveyors of truth and um it's important to talk about and share those stories so thank you for that yeah. for all of you <laughs> thank you for listening this was episode 11 no my god no next week is ep- next week is episode 11 please tune in for a true crime story Ooh. Ooh. if you have comments if you want to suggest a story for a future episode, or if you have your own personal report, you can email us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook. The Facebook. And please rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can like and subscribe on anywhere you can get your podcasts. We are really appreciative for each and every one of you that tune in. Our music is composed by Colin Whitlish and music production is by Justin Tomb. Cover art is by Erica Chase. I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. This is the Insomnia Report. Go to bed. (laughs) Or if you're my mother and you have to listen in the morning, hi mom. (laughs) Hope you have a great day. (laughs) She tells me that she has to listen into the morning because she gets too freaked out to listen to me. I love her. Hi, Dorette. Hi, Mom. Okay. Anyway, thanks again. Good night. Good night. Sleepyheads. Is that what we call them? I think so. Insomniacs? You guys tell us. What do you want to be called? (laughs) All right. Good night. Good night.